He's our king. He's our enabler. He's our enoughness. So let's pray. King Jesus, we're not just in the middle of a worship service. We're in the midst of our lives. Our stresses, our struggles, our triumphs, our tears, our laughter. Our hunger, our thirst, our longings, our delights, our questions, our mysteries, our frustrations, our fulfillments. And in this mysterious way, you've gathered us all here and online to speak. Only a king, an infinite king, only our creator, our author, who's omniscient and omnipresent, all-knowing and all-present. Only he could listen to the heartbeats of every one of us and know exactly what we're dealing with, exactly what we need to hear. I pray that you'll give us what we need. It, it might be what we want, might not be, but it will be what we need because your word is truth. Your spirit's here. This is an important time in each of us individually. It's an important time for us as a community of your followers. So Jesus is our head, the head of our church, is the king of our lives, is the lover of our souls. <laughs> Speak. I'm listening, they're listening. And we thank you ahead of time. And it's in your name, that name that's above every name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Really, it's good to see you all here and online. Welcome. If you're new to Northland, we are uh, at this, this dawn of a new era and season for us in which we're, season, we're stewarding the season that's gone before us and building on that foundation. And as we're getting started, we're letting Paul speak to us. He wrote to the Philippians 2,000 years ago, and little did you know, he was also writing to the Northlandians today. It, it's a powerful letter. The power of it is a dominant theme of Philippians. It's not the only theme, but it's, it's kind of the umbrella, is the joy of Christ, this exhortation to rejoice. Joy is not a syrupy smile. It's not always laughter, sometimes not always a smile. Sometimes it can be with tears, but it's a deep sense that Jesus is enough that invades every aspect of my life. And the power of, is Paul's credibility because he's writing this letter from prison. He's writing this letter from a very unjoyful place, you would think. But right there comes the, the title of the series, the, the giant secret of joy. The secret of joy is not getting our, our circumstances just right, but aligning our lives around the gospel, around Christ. In the first chapter, uh, we looked at the, the secret of, of, of gospel sufficiency and priority that he's enough. 
And we're to revolve around him as our priority. Now we're in chapter two, learning not just, this is not just for you and me as individuals. This is for us as a community, learning this gospel community that he talks about. It's not just having lives that revolve around Jesus instead of expecting him to revolve around us, but it's living lives as a community in which we're reflecting Christ to one another. If you've got your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter two. This is where we left off last week. First four verses is what we looked at. I want to read those again just to set the stage for today because it's all part of one, one thought. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, He's saying, if you've experienced the grace of God, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Let there be unity. Last week we talked about all of us being rowers in this, as, a, as a common crew, as a common team in this, in this boat. We've all got an oar. There needs to be common understanding of, of grace and, and unity. And he keeps going in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So humility will be in that boat, along with unity and along with grace. And then the capstone, verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Servanthood is going to be a part of that. As we're embarking into this new water, rowing together, it's going to involve tasting grace together, preserving unity together, practicing humility together, and demonstrating servanthood together. Now, what Paul was saying to the Philippians was just as radical then as it is to us in, in our culture now, wherever you are around the world. We all live in cultures where people say, you got to have a sense of upward mobility. You got to grab the gun. You got to make it happen. Rome was no different. Garrett Fagan, in a book called The Lure of the Arena about ancient Rome from Cambridge University Press, talked about during this time, and Philippi was a Roman colony. It was in the east, but it was about 800 miles from Rome. But it was like a mini Rome. He said, more than most, Romans lionized strength over weakness, victory over defeat, dominion over obedience. So Paul is messing with them. He's following the footsteps of Jesus who would mess with us. Jesus says the way up is down. You want to win? You need to lose yourself. It's contrary to what we think. So when Paul says that, he comes to verse 5. And he says, your attitude, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then verses 6 through 11 are known as one of the earliest hymns of the, of the church. It's called the kenosis hymn. Kenosis is a Greek word that means emptying. So what I want us to do is read this ancient hymn of the church. I'd like you to stand as we do, though. In your relationships with one another. And I want you to hear this. Paul is saying to the Philippians, he's saying to us as, us as Northlanders, in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You can have a seat. Paul says, singing this hymn is a highway to joy. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds, a little, sounds wow, that's, there's severity there. He says, absolutely, but it is the key to joy. Having the same mindset. Uh, you, you might think of it as having the same hymn in you that's in Christ. Singing the same song as Christ. As I sing Christ's song, that's a pathway to joy. And I've got to sing that song in the context of community. I cannot demonstrate or obey that passage without you. And you can't do it without me. We've got to be in community. Does the name Matish Yahu mean anything to any of you? He's a Jewish reggae singer. He was a Hasidic Jew uh, uh, up in Brooklyn and very, very popular. I love some of his music. He's had several big hits. One of them is One Day. It's, it's a song about hope. Hope that one day we're all going to finally figure this thing out and, and learn to get along and peace. Uh, and if you aren't that familiar with it, sorry, but as of yesterday, 46 million plus people have watched this music video on YouTube. So uh, let me give you a preview of it. You might recognize it. Take a look. Take a listen. song, and I, some of you might recognize it now, now that you've heard it. Well, as you can see in the video, Monty Shahu, is, his name is Matthew Paul Miller, actually, but Monty Shahu is not only his stage name, but his Hebrew name. You can see uh, he used to actually wear the full garb of an Orthodox Jew when he was doing reggae. Then he started dressing down a little bit. Last year, he changed his appearance drastically shaved his beard, dyed his hair blonde, 
And he was doing a concert out in Hawaii, in Maui, on the island of Maui. And he and some members of his band, on the way to the beach in the morning, they were going to be singing that evening, on the way to the beach in the morning, they dropped by a coffee shop. And Matis Yahu and his, uh, Stu, his, his, his bass friend, they're about to go up to the counter, and there's this kid over in, on the side. We, we now know his name is Clint Alama. Clint was playing a ukulele with his case open. You know, like coffee shops often will do. They'll host a musician to kind of do their thing, and people will give donations and so forth and tips. And, uh, so this ukulele player is over to the side, and he doesn't recognize, he doesn't pay any attention to these guys that are coming in. Just part of his shtick, one of his songs was Matis Yahoo's One Day. And he started playing it. And first, Matishao looked over thinking he was playing it because he, he knew he was there. And then they all of a sudden realized he doesn't recognize, he, he doesn't know we're here. That's just part of one of his, that's part of his repertoire. So uh, Matishao's bass player buddy said, sing with him. He said, I'm not going to sing with him. He said, yeah, dude, sing with him. And he finally talked him into it. And uh, so while he, Mati Chao was waiting on his coffee, I don't know what Mati Chao orders. Maybe he orders, Mati Chao orders a macchiato. I'm not sure. It sounds like it would be the appropriate drink. But while he's waiting on his coffee, he starts singing backup to Clint Alama. And he st Clint still doesn't know who it is. Doesn't know who it is, the whole song, except at the end of the song, when they're done, he comes over and says, hey, man, you got a great voice. And Matis said, uh, thanks, you know who wrote that song? And he said, yeah, Matis, which is his, his shortened nickname. Uh, and Matis said, yeah, he said, I did. He said, no, 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 I'm Matis He said, I'm Matis And he says, oh, man, you look different, and so forth. Uh, are you intrigued enough to wonder what that looked like? Well, you see the bass player videoed it on his iPhone. So take a watch.
some antis? Nah, For you? Oh, I'm Oh, yeah. What's up, man? You're a little different, kid. Yeah, man, actually. He's a little different. That's up, yeah, man. Good job, man. Trying to get him. Well, he, he ended up giving him a couple of tickets to his concert that night, and then the next week, Monticello invited Clint, flew him from Hawaii to Hollywood to play with him at the Palladium in, in Hollywood. He said, you sang my song with me without knowing who I was, now I want you to sing with me knowing who I am. And uh, So Paul is giving us a song to sing, the Christ hymn. You want Jesus to sing with you? He will when you and I sing this hymn. When we sing it with our lives, Paul said, have the same mindset in you as was in Christ Jesus. Have the same song in you. Have the same hymn in you. It will transform your church, your team, your family, your neighborhoods, your relationship, if you will sing this song. Because when you sing this song, unbeknownst to you, Jesus comes and he sings it. So let's go back through this hymn. And my apologies to all you musicians, because... This hymn has a five-part harmony. I don't think such a thing exists, but maybe it does. Somebody will correct me afterwards, I'm sure. You guys don't seem to be bashful about c correcting me. When I'm <laughs> which I'm grateful for. All five of these, I want you to imagine a musical scale. A staff, a musical staff has five lines. Imagine these five these five parts, five notes, they're descending. Instead of upward mobility being the key to my joy, if for me grabbing it and trampling on anybody I can and getting in runs and having my way, Paul says, no, go the other direction. Follow Jesus in a downward journey. A downward journey that will actually lead to, you to joy that you could never imagine. Let's go through these five parts. I'm not going to spend tons of time on each one of them, but you cannot miss one of these. And the intensity of the hymn grows with each one. The first part of the harmony is self-denial. We're going to go back through the text verse by verse. Part one of the harmony is self-denial, where I bypass my rights. You know, we're in an age where everybody has their rights. Everybody has a sense of entitlement. Everybody has, you know what? I want to I get what's coming to me. More needs to be coming to me, 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 me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Sing the same song. Sing the same hymn. Demonstrate the same lifestyle as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He bypassed his rights. If there was ever anyone that walked on this planet that deserved to be served, that deserved to have everybody else revolving around him, because that's what we think the key to joy is. If all of you would just kind of do what I want, and we all think that. If I can just get everybody around me doing what I want, that's when I'll be able to find joy. Paul says, no, it's the other way around. 
I've got to bypass my rights. You know what a bypass is. You're driving, you're doing a cross-country trip, you're coming to a major city. You always take the bypass so you don't have to go through the congestion of downtown. The congestion of our selfishness chokes joy even though it lures us in, we think it's the answer. And there's one person that has set foot on this planet who deserved to be served, and he, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator, the one by whom, for whom, and in whom all things exist and are created, he deserved to come here and be served, and he instead, kenosis, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But, listen, whoever will lose their life for my sake will find it. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Part one of this Jesus hymn that I'm to sing with my life, that when I do, he'll sing with me, is self-denial. You guys know Brendan Manning? He actually was here a few years ago. The author, he's since, he's since gone home. But a lot of people don't realize Brennan was not his birth certificate name. When he became a priest, they told him, we want you to pick the name of a saint. Brennan Manning picked the name of his best friend growing up. His name was Ray Brennan. He and Ray grew up in Brooklyn together, bought a car together, went on double dates together, joined the army together, were in a foxhole together. When Ray was eating a chocolate bar and a grenade came into the foxhole, Ray looked at the grenade, looked at Brennan, took the chocolate bar out of his mouth, threw it down, smiled at Brennan, and put himself, laid on the grenade. And he was killed instantly. Brennan's life was saved. He didn't say, I'm entitled. To, he says, I want to lay down my life. As I review this past week, as I'm thinking about this upcoming week, what will be a doorway to singing a hymn of joy? It's this first part harmony of self-denial where I bypass my rights. You show me a, a, a community of Christ followers who are learning this, and it's a place of great joy. Uh, here's the second part of the harmony. Part one, self-denial. Part two, empathy. Self-denial bypassed my rights. No longer have this entitlement thing. Part two, empathy. I need to walk in your shoes. I need to learn how to do that. Little Seth was seven years old, and his mother was in the kitchen. He was in playing in one of the back bedrooms with his two-year-old sister, and the mother heard Seth give a blood-curdling scream. I mean, she goes running back thinking, did, did he cut his finger off? What happened? And she gets, rounds the corner, and he's still screaming to see what the problem is. His little sister's two-year-old sister had his hair, and he was lying on the floor, and she was walking around pulling him by the hair. And she went over and took her, you know, her little vice grip and took it off. And, and then she, she knelt down to Seth said, buddy, I'm so sorry. Uh, she, she doesn't know any better. She, she doesn't know that hurts. 
So everything was all fine. She walked back to the kitchen. Before she even got to the kitchen, she heard her little daughter scream, a blood-curdling scream. She comes running back, rounds the corner, looks at her son, and he says, she does now. <laughs> Empathy is something that's hard to come by. We live in an age, in fact, social psychologists talk about empathy deficit disorder. We're no longer paying attention to how one another is doing. We're no longer really listening between the lines. We've got our agendas, we've got our cell phones, we're going through our lives. Come back to the text, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Rather, he made himself nothing. That's the kenosis. He emptied himself. Emptied himself of what? His deity? No, but as we would say, he emptied himself of his independent use, demonstration of his divine attributes. He was submitting himself to the Father. Betook on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became like you and me. What are the implications of that? Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have, here's the result of Jesus becoming fully human. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the result of Christ being empathetic, he says, so let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let's come to him with confidence knowing that he's empathizing with us. So often we can't come to one another in confidence because we don't know that the other person's really going to empathize with us. So we walk in insecurity, we fear, we're trying to manipulate, still trying to get our way, make it happen. When Jesus came and he, he walked in our shoes, he paid attention to us. Am I paying attention? LaShonda Calloway, 10 years ago, was in Wichita, Kansas, in a convenience store a young woman, and she was stabbed in the convenience store. As she lay dying, at least five people stepped over her as they were going to get their snacks. You can see it on the, the security cameras. One person stopped, but the only reason they stopped was to take a photo. Our culture is growing numb to the humanity in one another, the imageness in one another. Am I empathizing? This week I was at a restaurant, just fast food place, sort of, and, kind of, and I, I got some soup, and I walked past somebody that I knew didn't have any. And I'm embarrassed to say it took me about 20, 25 steps to turn around. And I'm even more embarrassed to say, if I hadn't been preparing for this message, would I have turned around at all? Has it become enough of a habit in my life to take on the second part of the, the Jesus hymn, the harmony of it, where there's self-denial first? 
And then there's empathy. There's the third part, obedience. If we're going to sing this hymn in, a communi in our community and have Jesus therefore accompany us, it will involve self-denial, it will involve empathy, but it's also going to involve obedience. This whole notion of servanthood, last week we were rowing together, remember? Finish understanding if we, we got to have mutual, a sense of servanthood with one another. This is what servanthood looks like, self-denial, empathy, but then obedience. It's very, very important you and I get this, that servanthood is not me obeying you. Servanthood is me obeying Jesus about you. Big difference. I'm not serving you to get you to like me. I'm serving you because he's loved me. I'm serving you because he said, that's where your liberation is. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, second part of it. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Jesus was, had lowered himself to being fully human, yes, still fully God, but he became obedient. So his kenosis, his emptying was a step of obedience. My servanthood of you is, is one of obedience. I'm, I'm pleasing someone, but it's not you. A lot of people try to abuse the servanthood thing. <laughs> I've had people tell me before, hey, aren't you serving me? You're supposed to be a servant. Thinking that servanthood is where we're doing what each other wants us to do for them. That's not always the most healthy thing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices each other will be pleased. No. Who's going to be pleased? We got it underlined, I think. Who's going to be pleased? God. So when I am doing good... God is pleased. Now, sometimes that's going to please you. Sometimes when you do that for me, that will please me. But ultimately, our audience is not one another in this. Our audience is the Father. Uh, Babe Ruth, the, the, the legendary baseball player, had a bunch of home runs. He also had a bunch of strikeouts. And he was playing at Yankee Stadium, and he got called out on strikes by one of the most famous umpires of the, of the day, a guy named Babe Pinelli. And Ruth was known to give the umpires a piece of his mind. And this was one of those occasions. He called the third strike. You're out of here. Ruth stepped back and said, you got to be kidding me. 40,000 people here know that that was a ball to made ahead. Didn't phase Babe Pinelli. He looked at him and said, you know what? That may be so, that may be so but mine is the only opinion that counts. If I'm pleasing a ton of people by following their manipula manipulation and God isn't pleased, I'm wasting my time because I, it doesn't matter how many people I'm pleasing if God is displeased. But if I'm pleasing God, it, it doesn't matter how many people I'm pleasing because God's my audience. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a, a servant of Christ. 
So this hymn that begins to, to come up, you know, so many religious communities do not sing this Christ hymn. They sing a selfish hymn. They sing a judgmental hymn. They sing a, a religiosity hymn. They sing a legalism hymn. But they're not singing the joyful hymn of Jesus. Why? Because they don't get the harmonies. And they think Jesus is singing along. He's not. They're, they're doing this instead of self-denial. They're doing this self-uplifting. We're promoting ourselves. And instead of empathy, they're practicing judgmentalism. Instead of obedience, they're practicing manipulation. Jesus says, hey, I'll sing with you. But it's got to be this hymn. It's this hymn of downward mobility. Five-part harmony. Part one, self-denial. Part two, empathy. Part three, obedience. Where we're being obedient to the Father. Not just serving one another according to what one another tell us they need, but saying, Father, what does my brother or sister need? But fourth, sacrifice. The fourth part of the harmony is sacrifice, where I'm going the distance. I'm not just, uh, the, the third, obedience, where I'm being motivated by God's will, not everybody around me, I'm being motivated by God's will. The fourth part to the harmony is sacrifice. I'm, I'm going the distance. Go back to the text. You know, you see McKenzie, uh, he said, you know, some people make enemies instead of friends because it's less trouble. It takes a lot of work to make friends. This is a lot of work. Take a look, verse 8. And there, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Only a heavenly being could accept death as obedience, by the way. Even death on a cross. I don't think you and I get the offense of the cross as it appeared in the, the first century church. To us, cross is a piece of jewelry. It's a religious symbol. Cross was the most, crucifixion was the most humiliating form of death possible. A Roman citizen, no matter how vile of a criminal, could opt for not being crucified. They would be beheaded. The cross didn't even become a symbol of Christianity until the fourth century with Constantine. As C.S. Lewis put it, he said, it was only after all the people that had seen a real crucifixion had died out that people start using the cross as a symbol. Because it was so devastatingly humiliating. When was the last time that I humbled myself in the presence of a brother or sister in Christ? And went the distance. Jesus said, don't just give one another a little bit of clothing. Give them, give them your whole coat. Give them everything you've got. Go the distance. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What do you think he means by that? I think he means we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? 
Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. At the end of the week, I took a day, I had a really quick trip to Washington, D.C. for a board meeting, and also we uh, combined it with the, the, the uh, preview before the grand opening of the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. That's a different story. I'll tell you more later. Uh, suffice it to say, it is a phenomenal achievement. Put it on your calendar, your to-do list. But in Washington, there, the, the, it's on four, the 14th Street Bridge. Saw so a sign, the Arlen D. Williams Jr. Memorial Bridge. Now, why would a bridge be named after somebody? So I looked it up. In January of 1982, Florida Flight 90 with 79 people on board. It was a bitterly cold day, icing, and the plane crashed, taking off from Washington Airport. The plane crashed, hit the 14th Street Bridge, and then plunged into the frozen Potomac. There were six survivors. Arlen D. Williams was in the water with his five fellow passengers, and no one knew how to help them. They were out in the middle, and everybody was watching. There was a news crew, a cameraman had his video, and he was out looking at, at the water. Finally, a, a rescue helicopter came by, a guy that had been in Vietnam. They dropped a rope down with the uh, kind of noose at the bottom that somebody can put their arms through and be lifted up. And they dropped it down, and there's this one guy, Arlen D. Williams, 46 years old, from Mattoon, Illinois, went to the Citadel. His uh, high school girlfriend said he was freaked out by going to the Citadel because he was scared to death of their swimming requirements. He hated the water. And there he was, and he was the one being able to maneuver, and he would take the rope, but instead of putting his arms through it and being lifted to safety, he would put it around the next person. They, lowered, they got that person out, lowered it again, the next person out, freezing water. Everybody is losing body, body heat. One, two, three, four, five. Every time. He refused to take the rope. He put it around someone else. The tail finally went under the water, which he had been clinging to, and he perished. That's how that bridge became renamed. Jesus said, John 15, verse 13, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Do I want joy? Do you want joy? Do we realize how expensive joy is? It costs us our pride. It costs us our convenience. It costs me my self-centeredness. It costs us our agendas. But if we learn this hymn, if we learn this song, even with, if it's just sort of learn it, with a ukulele, the king of the universe comes and says, I'll sing with you. I'll sing this verse of self-denial, this verse of empathy, of obedience, of going the distance, of sacrifice. But there's, there's a fifth part to the harmony. We've been going down that scale, and you're thinking, man, this is not looking good. And you wouldn't think this is the fifth part, but the fifth part is fulfillment. Experiencing 
God smile. When I take this path of downward ability, when I sing this song of downward ability, there's self-denial that hurts. There's empathy. It's hard to put attention on somebody else instead of me. There's, there's obedience. I'm not being manipulated by the people around me. I'm pleasing God. And as a result, I'm not being a people pleaser, but a God pleaser. And that builds people up. I'm going the distance. I'm not saying how little can I serve you, but how much. And you think, man, the sum total of that is misery. Not when we're doing a gospel song. The sum total of that is fulfillment of joy, of experiencing the smile of God. And you know, there are people that will talk about, hey, serving others is better. It ends up better for you. I actually read a, a, a story of 132 people with, with MS, multiple sclerosis, who uh, were in a study group. One group met once a week learning coping skills. The other group met once a month paired up with somebody else from the outside of the study with multiple sclerosis to process it with them and to receive their encouragement. They wanted to see which group, the group that met once a week learning coping skills or the group that met once a month having uh, a mentor, so to speak, somebody else with MS. And actually neither of those groups were markedly different from the other. The group, what they were surprised by in the research is the group that improved were the mentors, those who had MS that were coming along as a support. So yes, when I'm giving myself to other people, it's healthy, good things happen, but that is not ultimately what this passage is saying. That's part of it. That's part of the benefit. But there's something far more powerful going on. Go back to the text. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. It's even more important than just, hey, it, you know, when I give, it, it's helpful to me. There's something else going on. God exalts. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, powerful phrase to the Philippians. They were in a Roman colony. Before every sporting event, every civic event, ever, every entertainment, theatrical event, a pledge of allegiance to the, the Caesar cult would occur. This is when Caesar worship, the Caesar cult was at its, at its pinnacle during this season. Kaiser Hall Curios. Caesar is Lord. In fact, people were required to say that, to pledge allegiance to Caesar. And Paul's coming along and saying, you want to know joy? Pledge allegiance to the one who is the Lord of all lords, the king of all kings, the Caesar above all Caesars. The one by whom and for whom and in, thing, in whom the entire universe exists. I'm saying, well, that's good for the Philippians, but I don't know that it applies to me. There's no Caesar around. Are you kidding me? I live with a Caesar every day, so do you. Who's that Caesar? It's me. Caesar is me. I wake up every morning and Caesar is trying to sing a counterfeit song of fulfillment. 
saying, get what you want, and that's what's going to satisfy you. Paul said, the Jesus hymn. He took, he walked this path of self-denial, of empathy, of obedience, of sacrifice, and he ended up with fulfillment, being exalted the highest place, and people say, well, that applies to Jesus. I don't know that that applies to us. Paul hasn't taken a break from saying, let the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus apply to you. It does apply. Of course, not in the same way that we become kings and, 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 and queens, that we become lords of the universe, so to speak, but we are exalted by the Father. Go back to James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Jesus says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. While I humble myself before his lordship and let the fact that he is king of kings and lord of lords dictate how I live my life. Instead of having the posture that a little guy had one time, a college student years ago, I was speaking in England about this passage. He came up to me afterwards, anger in his eyes, and he said, I will never bow. I, my tongue will never confess that Jesus is lord, and my knee will never bow. I didn't know whether to cry or... Or laugh. And laughing, not being cruel to him, it's just the preposterous notion that any human being who is governed and dictated and created and every cell in my body is held together by Jesus Christ, every electrical impulse in my heart is according to his mercy, every strand of DNA has been dictated by, by his authorship, the notion that I would stand before him one day and say, I will not bow, is the most preposterous thing that Paul can imagine. What he's describing is a point in which all of creation will be gathered around the throne. Revelation 5, the lamb who was slain, the lion of Judah, the king of kings, the lord of lords, and every created being, every Caesar, every dictator, every tyrant, every president, every senator, every pauper gathered around and every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul is saying, get a head start. Get a head start. Live your life now. Live your life now in the context of community, bowing, saying no to the Caesar of you and saying yes to the king who's Jesus. You know, in ancient mythology, there were the sirens, these, these mythical creatures, mermaid-like, beautiful. Their song, their voice was so enticing to sailors, and they would... Ships would sail by and sailors would hear the siren singing song, making these promises to them in their music. And they would jump off the ship and be dashed to, to shreds on the, on the sharp rocks next to this island. Odysseus actually, as he was going by, wanted to hear the siren's song. And so he had his, 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 his sailors lash him to the mast and made them pour wax in their ears. And, he heard it, and, and it, he, he would have gone, but he couldn't. He was lashed in the mass. But a, a ship after that named Argo, Orpheus was the one who was on the ship. The way they got by the sirens is they played a more beautiful song, a louder song, a song that drowned out the sirens. 
This song, Paul is inviting you and me to sing in community. It's a song that can drown out the enticing but dangerous music of all of our personal Caesars that say, the answer to fulfillment is for you to do what will be good for me. Can you imagine a community of Christ followers where the only competition is who can outserve the other one? Can you imagine the music that we motivated by that day in which we will all be gathered around the phone, thrown living backwards and understanding? Curios Iesus. Jesus is Lord. He's not just my Lord in a religious sense. He's my Lord in terms of the one who dictates the song that I'm going to sing on a daily basis. And he sings this song of self-denial, of empathy, of obedience, of sacrifice and fulfillment. When we start singing that song, he sings it with us. Before we go, we're going to do a little singing. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, I thank you, King Jesus. We exalt you. That you who are King of kings and Lord of lords, you have descended. You've took, taken a downward journey, a journey of downward mobility towards us that involved your self-denial and your empathy for us and your obedience to the Father and your willingness to sacrifice and go the distance. And, and now we exalt you because of the fulfillment that occurred. And you tell us to sing the same, the same hymn. I pray you'll give me the courage to sing that hymn, that song this week. Even if it's with a ukulele. To sing this hymn. Busting out of my me Caesar preoccupations and living in the presence of the only one who actually can bring joy. I ask this in the name of the one who is King of Kings, the one who is Lord of Lords, the one who is author, the one who is finisher, the one who is Lion of Judah, the one who is exalted above all. And before we leave this place, would you release us not just vocal cords, but in our hearts and our lives and our priorities to sing the song of King Jesus.